Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with business and well-being thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. I'm a life coach, speaker, writer, and podcaster too. I am passionate. In fact, I believe that it is my divine assignment to help Generation X women connect with their inner leader, the leader that resides in their emotions, buried by logic and the desire to be good. Logic and being good according to someone else's standards is okay for surviving, but round here, we are in the business of thriving. I use my background in social work, life coach training, and my superpower of loving kindness to help women connect to who they really are so they can expand into themselves fully embrace their leadership qualities and relinquish the chaos that exists within the duality of who we are and who we think we should be. My intention for this podcast is to plant seeds and create aha moments that bring you closer to your centre so that you can start to embrace your 360 degrees wholeheartedly. Today, I am joined by the Earth Mother herself, Nahanda Truscott-Reed, on Instagram and the interwebs as the Soul Mama Coach. Nahanda is a holistic wellness coach for women on the path of conscious motherhood, and she works with mothers from preconception through pregnancy and postpartum and beyond. We are having a really powerful conversation about motherhood, about motherhood being a portal to awakening into the truth of who we are. And Nahanda speaks very powerfully about how we can essentially decolonize, decolonize even our minds from the conditioning of those that came before, from the conditioning of society, and how we can tap into the innate wisdom of our ancestry, of our inner knowing. She talks about the power that comes from being present with yourself. And um, she talks really powerfully about freedom from fear by becoming accustomed to the unknown that unfolds alongside awakening. We also talk about the power of her name um, and the power of names in general because she is named after a woman that has real strong power um, and she talks about that more as she contributed to my Black History Month audio community project. So I will put a link to that episode in the show notes as well. This com- I loved this conversation. I could have spoken to Nahanda for hours, um, so much so that I'm going to invite her back for a part two. But for now, enjoy this beautiful conversation about motherhood awakening and healing. 
So Nahanda, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Tammy. I am delighted to be here. I definitely think we couldn't have expected um, the times that we're in, in when we booked this podcast. And when it came around, I was like, there's definitely some divine timing in, mm-hmm. in preparation. So yeah, really happy to be here. If any of you, if you haven't um, checked out Nahanda, and um, please go to, um, I'm going to put the links in the bio, please tap and have a look at her Instagram page. She just serves Earth Mother realness <laughs> all the time. And I think we really need that, need that at the moment. But for my listeners that haven't had the pleasure of coming across your work yet, please could you tell us about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am a a mother of two and I am a holistic wellness coach for mothers and I call the journey of motherhood a kind of spiritual awakening and so I think by framing it in this way it just opens us up to deeper opportunities of healing and of intentional living and of mindful approaches to our wellness and to our energy and so that's the container that I hold for myself and for the women that I serve on the journey of conscious motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, before you tell us why you do what you do, this is really important. So Nahanda was one of the beautiful beings that contributed to my Black History Month community project, where I shared um, a uh, audio recording um, of a black woman, woman of black heritage, um, that shared um, information about somebody they uh, looked up to, whatever. Um, Not whatever, because I'm just about to babble. I don't want to babble. So Nahanda talked about her namesake. So for me, this is really important. Please, could you tell us um, about who you were, about the meaning of your name and who you were named after? Yes. And what a beautiful project that was, by the way. I really enjoyed listening to all of the um, testimonies from all of the women that shared. So yes, um, Nahanda uh, was chosen by my mother, um, who had traveled to Zimbabwe in the 80s. Um, and she came across the story of the real Mbaya Nahanda, which Zimbabweans will know. Um, she was a heroic figure. She was a spiritual medium and a, a leader and a warrior. And so she led her people in resistance against the British empire which was invading at that time the 17th century and she really kind of was a spearhead for bringing people together and resisting the kind of incoming threat as she perceived it at that time Mm -hmm. so when I listened to uh, your um, audio contribution which I will link in the show notes I was really taken with um, your description of uh, Mbaya Nahanda leading a powerful revolt uh, to free Shondaland of white settlers that were there to dominate and subjugate the indigenous people Mm. as part of colonialism. And uh, when you were talking about this in that old audio, I just got a real sense of a woman. So so you talked about her being a spiritual leader as well. Yeah. So whilst she was um, leading a revolt against white rule, she was also leading an awakening for her people. Right. It was like, come on, people, you can't just let this happen. Exactly. And I think at that time it was very... 
um, she was going against the grain. Like there was a kind of perception that, okay, maybe these outsiders could, should be welcomed. Yeah. And so she was part of the welcoming party that kind of brought the first settlers in. Mm-hmm. And then she realized like, hang on a second. And I feel like this is the tuning in to spirit that we as women have the ability to do, um, that she realized that, hang on, this is not going to serve us in the long term that she started to rally the people spiritually as well as physically mm-hmm. and realizing that the I guess the freedom that they had and the connection that they had was was under threat but being able to do that in a way which brought together the largest army which up until that point hadn't happened and doing that as a woman and a spiritual leader I just thought was so inspiring and powerful just even understanding that for myself I'm not actually of Zimbabwean heritage but I feel so connected to just her virtues of just resistance and strength and just not even being phased by any of the threats like people were coming with guns and Mm -hmm. ammunitions and she was just like you clearly do not know what this is like I didn't come to play, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, we're dealing with like a spiritual warfare, not just a physical warfare. Mm-hmm. And so I think she realized that even though on paper she was eventually captured um, and sentenced to be hung, that she knew that this f- physical body was not the end of her, um, of her power. And mm-hmm. she, she knew that. And so it didn't, it didn't seem to scare her in all accounts that I've read. She was just stood very firm. It took them like five times to try and actually hang her. And they gave her the, the option to kind of convert to Catholicism before she passed. And she was like, no, I know who I am. I know who my God is. I know who I serve. I know what my people is. And she gave them the promise that she would always be available to them in the heart of a lioness. Mm-hmm. so I, I choose that as my spirit animal because the strength and wisdom that comes from that image for me is just so powerful that you know even when the the physical body has passed the wisdom the intelligence the connection is still present and so she really reminds me and many others of that so beautiful so powerful and for me that is what I call legacy people Mm. talk about legacy like they're leaving a mansion and all that kind of stuff the fact that this is to the year 2020 and Mbaya Nahanda's spirit lives on and we're talking about her with such aliveness and such presence here in 2020 that for me is what you call legacy and that for me is um I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even go go into this but that for me is the difference between manifesting and radiating she radiated Mm -hmm. she, she radiated her what her beliefs what she radiated who she is and that radiation we can still feel it because I believe she was channeling She wasn't just coming from her earthly presence and this is where we can stumble big time but I'm going to, I can see Nahanda, you can't, and I can see that there's so much that's going to come, but I'm being very selfish. I have very clear reasons as to why I want this wonderful woman here and to share with us. <laughs> and I just want to reflect something back to you, actually. I feel like your motherhood ethos and your work reflects Nahanda by Nahanda. Mm. Because being a conscious and awakened parent means that 
we are less likely to subjugate and dominate our children. Now, I know that might sound harsh, but it's what we do. And something that I just picked up on that you were talking about, um, about uh, Mbaya Nahanda recognising that um, f- uh, her people's freedom and connectedness was under threat. I feel like when we enter motherhood without preparation, parenthood without preparation, it, we can very quickly um, drop into, not even drop into, we can very quickly we go... Default default thank you we can very quickly default and be triggered into unconscious patterns of thinking and we can deem parenting to be um a a a role that threatens your freedom and your connection yes so bearing this in mind Mm. please could you tell us what conscious motherhood means to you Mm. And how you support the mothers you work with to either become or broaden and build their consciousness. Mm. First of all, thank you for that question, because bringing the links like that to Imbaya Nahanda through my work, like that just resonates on so many levels personally and spiritually to what my mission is and what I feel like I'm here to do. So thank you for making that connection. Um, But yes, I 100% agree. I feel like if entered into unconsciously, i.e. you find yourself pregnant, you find yourself with child and you haven't made space or time to kind of really dig deep into your own trauma or your own childhood, your own uh, programming, then that is exactly what's going to surface when there is the trigger of a child who is screaming and demanding and needing you to show up in a way that you probably have never been needed to before. And so my take on conscious parenting was from my own experience of realizing like I was needing to dig deep into a place that I didn't even know I had access to because I knew that I wanted something different for myself. I knew that I wanted to do things in a way that I wasn't seeing a role model for. Mm -hmm. I was creating a conscious relationship and I wanted that to be expressed in the way that I mothered and parented my children. I wanted them to see the world in a way that had taken me years of undoing and unlearning to get to a realization of And to give them the opportunity to not have to go through that, to kind of start in a different place. And so a lot of people talk about that when they're thinking about, like you mentioned, material assets, you know, providing for your child what you hadn't had growing up. And I see that as a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the healing that you do and the reconciliation that you do and the reflection that you do and the conversations that you have with people living and past and of yourself, that's the gift that we're giving to ourselves and our children because mm-hmm. we're then enabling them to evolve past us and that Mm -hmm. is really what I believe legacy should be about is about supporting the evolution of humanity and parenting is the biggest privilege and opportunity to do that and so for people who are able to kind of make that space and recognize that that privilege it changes the way that you do everything Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I work with women I'm really focused on their own personal journeys of healing and wellness and how that then can set the foundation for their relationships and for their parenting their mothering Mm -hmm. so it kind of it's a holistic journey it's a deep journey but it's one that I believe is continuous from whenever you come into that awareness 
as long as you live you know it's not a quick fix <laughs> by any means we finished that's it so <laughs> much richness there and, and you've made me remember um at my daughter's naming ceremony um my dad he's he's a very stern west african man very very intuitive like i fully believe that we have been related to each other in different lifetimes. Um, Because he he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, parenting is a privilege, it is not a right. And because I come from a background of social work, I was very keen to um, make sure that I was um, not giving my daughter what was left But what happened in that meant that although I wasn't triggered into my own trauma in a way that impacted her per se, I don't feel like, will she be 30 and say, mom, do you remember when? Possibly, I don't know. There's always a possibility of that. And it doesn't matter how conscious we are, we're human beings. So our children will always have something to unlearn and relearn. But what I know for sure is that I was really trying to be everything in all of the spaces I was operating in. So I was making myself ill. And um, I'm going to come on to this later, but the aliveness, the spaciousness that comes through from the mission of your work, I feel like that was definitely absent Mm -hmm. um, because I was pouring from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. But before we go there... I'd like to dismiss the notion that this is about privilege because when we talk about personal development, when we talk about, let's call it what it is, Mm self-help, there are lots of people that I believe operate from their own wound and consider self-care, self-help, personal development, trying to connect with the abundance and the authenticity of who you are is reserved for a chosen few. Mm. But your work, this, this, I really resonate a lot. I have a lot of resonance for your work because I find it similar to mine in that you approach this from a foundation up. To me, I feel like when we, when we see, especially within like the motherhood, even the coaching and the spiritual kind of industries or circles, it seems to be the same type of person on repeat. Like Mm -hmm. there's a very narrow version of what we get sold and Mm -hmm. shown. And so for me, my own motherhood journey kind of made me even more aware of that. And I realized like, hang on a second. So, so what about the women of color that need healing? What about women who are not coming from a background where therapy is just literally available? What about, you know, every time I go to a a yoga class or a women's circle and I'm the only person of color in the room, how does my experience and my background allow me to find my way into these truths and to benefit from the gems and what I realized when I started my 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 training because I actually chose to train with a a black woman Mm -hmm. um was that this was knowledge that people of color have held for generations like it's just because of history that people have been really disconnected and severed from that truth and we all have at different levels but I feel like where there is a repackaging and reappropriation of a lot of the wellness tools that are now kind of like seemingly trendy Mm -hmm. it's like you realize that 
women have been yoni steaming for millennia. Like these are ancient ways that mm-hmm. women have had taken away from them. And if we can kind of come back into it with a kind of sense of reclaiming rather than appropriating, then you realize like it's not something that's not for you. It's something that belongs to us. And so that whole process I find feels like a really deep remembering Mm -hmm. and remembering, you know, like actually like bringing Mm -hmm. extended parts of yourself Mm -hmm. back to yourself. And so that is something that all of us have a right to. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk and when I present things I'm very conscious of what images I'm using and what language I'm using because I'm not trying to serve who's already being served Mm -hmm. I really am passionate about making knowledge information and resources available to women who may not have had that before because Mm -hmm. actually I believe that we're the ones who need it the most and our children are going to benefit the most from that because we probably don't have privileges in 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 every other aspect and so by kind of prioritizing this kind of work and this kind of healing, we're giving our children the best kind of chance and foundational beginning in mm-hmm. life. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be at the beginning, just mm-hmm. to caveat, because at any stage, it's never too late. Yeah. But that work, if it can be prioritized in a way that you really kind of view the benefits from in your own wellness, that can't help but influence and benefit all those around you. Absolutely. And you're making me think about, um, I used to carry my daughter on my back, West African. That's what um, we've been brought up with. That's what my mum did. That's what everybody does. And um, I remember her um, childminder and her husband um, came round, uh, I think it was her first birthday and she was very, very unsettled. She was overstimulated. Mm. And um, so I put her on my back and like literally her husband jumped like because the way I was doing it, I was like, we do it all the time. But like, I've been doing this in, I can't remember how old she was when I first started doing it. Um, maybe she was like four months. She was quite a, a sturdy baby when I was doing it. I was like, we do that all the time. And he couldn't believe when he just saw her kind of like melt onto um, my back. Um, and then... I got quite annoyed. Um, I was watching something. I was watching some social work, something or the other, um, where they were talking about baby carrying. They were advocating baby carrying for adopters because it kind of like replicates being in the womb and that closeness and all of that. And I was like, I remember when I was talking about this as a social worker with adopters and it was almost like, don't come here with your African mumbo jumbo. We're not interested. And now um, it's, it's all over the place. And something that you said when you caveated that it's not, um, it doesn't only have to happen in the early stages. My daughter is 13 and I can't remember what I had, what I had read or what I was doing, but there was something about kind of like checking it. Oh no, I know what it was. I was, I was, it was some reparenting. I was doing some reparenting Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about childhood and, um, it was a bit basically talking about loving yourself the way that you would have appreciated when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, let me just ask this. I keep calling her child, but I'm trying to say young woman, this young woman that is emerging before me. Um, I said, I know this is going to sound really weird, but um, how do you want to be loved? And she was like, what? She was like, mommy, I know you love me. You show me you love me all the time. And she, to date, she has not been able to answer that question but multiple nights this girl has chosen to sleep in my bed 
so she might not have had the words the to language. articulate but me opening up by saying that mm. this almost as tall as me 13 year old mm. um, has been in my bed multiple nights and previously I'd have been like oh god you're going to be moving around talking in your sleep all of that and I just thought you know what there's not going to be much longer of this mm. yeah I do hope that when she's making her own way in the world there will be times that she comes around and we just get into bed and go to sleep for me that would be absolutely beautiful but it just just to illustrate how checking in with our children can open up something that they may not have done mm. had you not opened that door and that's at 13 so I love I love that example because she is articulating to you even if it's not verbally exactly she's, she's and they do our children show us you know even if they don't have the words at, at that stage to be able to articulate exactly what they need and how they need it and when they need it they are their behavior and mm-hmm. their expression is mm-hmm. what we need to tune into mm-hmm. to be able to understand what they need and sometimes what they think they need and what they actually need could be two separate things and so that the mother's wisdom to be able to say okay I hear what you're saying you think that you need x and actually I'm gonna try and see whether what I think you need maybe y is actually what is really what's being displayed and called for here but interestingly when you speak about the language what came up for me when you said that was about how that's such an important practice in and of itself you know maybe there hasn't been that many conversations where the two of you have had the opportunity to really discuss how people show love for example or how you can ask for how you want to be loved or how not everybody's um expression of love is something that you might want or what you might need or whenever you're in a position to actually say actually that doesn't feel comfortable or you know that might not be the kinds of conversations that you might have had I'm sure in your house it is but not for not for many Um, that's recent you're you're very very right okay I um definitely operate in a way whereby I'm very uh verbal and I'm a very demonstrative um like I, I knew from the moment I saw the two lines on that pregnancy test, even before that, because I didn't need the pregnancy test to tell me what I already knew, like I know my body, but I already knew that um, this this being, I didn't know whether it was, you know, male, female, I just knew that the the human being I was carrying was going to feel not just know, was going to feel loved. And even you were talking about your name prior to us, me pressing record, we were talking about names. Um, my granddad, my great granddad is Yoruba, uh, from originally from um, Nigeria. And um, I was very intentional with the middle name that my daughter has. Um, uh, it's, it's a Yoruba name that means I have someone to cherish. Mm. Um and I, I use that word on a semi-regular basis because for me, love is a cherishing. It's, mm-hmm. it's a real tenderness. It's real fragility. Um, but what I had done is, because that is the mode of parenting I was operating, I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to literally love the shizzle out of you. <laughs> um, but that mode of parenting is quite tight, 
it doesn't create space for her to say, well, that might be how you think I want to be loved, but actually this is how I need to be loved. And what you were talking about, the difference between, or uh, as a parent, listening to the guidance and knowing the difference between what is wanted and needed, me being able to ask her that question, previously vulnerability would have shut that down. I would have been very nervous about what her response would be just in case it made me feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, But once I started to really tap into the notion of being with myself about vulnerability being a strength and allowing myself to hold myself in my totality, it created space because I just know it doesn't matter what is demonstrated physically or verbally, I have the capacity to be able to hold space for whatever it is my daughter needs. Mm. Um, And that is purely because I've held space for myself and my pain and dropped down beneath that to understand uh, what it is that is trying to get my attention by causing pain. The, the fact that you describe that journey as kind of being a remothering for yourself, like that is exactly the work. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't always show up in the conversations or the kind of deliberate interactions between you and your child. Of course, that comes into it. But that making space for yourself, that kind of asking yourself questions and reflecting and asking yourself, like, where where are there things that I'm showing up and displaying now that are coming from a place of lack? or um, loss or grief or feeling like something wasn't provided when it should have been or maybe something came and it was too fast it was too much or Mm -hmm. you know like having that that awareness and that conscious kind of intention to be able to face those things in yourself and then honor what it is that you need now and to keep doing that to keep showing up for yourself and to, to have healthy boundaries and for your child to witness that that is healing for them exactly and it creates space and a a beautiful example for how they can show up in the world and so that it doesn't always happen and often I think it happens in all of the micro moments it never really happens in those kind of big heart conversations that we Mm -hmm. feel like oh now I'm going to address some like really important ish like most of the time it's what we're doing in the everyday is they can see we're disconnected or we're distracted or we're not listening to each other or we're talking over or we're you know uh pushing an idea idea or we're projecting a a vision onto them that they're not or we're disappointed with certain things or they pick up those things from so early and like you say from within the womb they're feeling into Mm -hmm. the ways that we feel about them Mm -hmm. and ourselves that it it the language is just the surface it's what kind of it's the last point of expression and the behavior that comes out from both us and them is like that last point of of expression into the world of these deeper set knowledges of each other of seeing each other and so I really do believe that kind of uh children as teacher but in a way that is more about reflecting to us what work we need to do and where the priorities might be like the things that we're really fearful of or the things that really find um we find are triggering those are the kind of pathways that guide us to where the work is for ourselves and only by doing that work for ourselves first can we then show up for them in a way that is actually felt and truly meaningful come on come on (laughs) this is what i'm talking about you can only go as deep with anything as you've gone with yourself definitely and 
you, you were talking about, you know, uh, the triggers and the challenges. And, it, 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 you know, gosh, sometimes you do have to re- dig really, really deep um, in this journey of parenthood. I'm, I'm curious, what have been the, the, or what has been the most challenging part so far of your conscious parenting journey and how did or does that show up? So I think for me, the main shock was realizing that I, I was, I felt like I was doing it alone. And when I say alone, I don't mean um, single parent because I, I am partnered. I am in a, in a marriage, but I felt so alone, like really alone. I'm trying to think of another word, but like really isolated, really just like, wow, this is not how it how it's supposed to be. There was just a deep knowing and grieving that felt like we're supposed to be raising the next generation in community where there was not supposed to be the kind of everything onto the mother's shoulders, you know, like the providing and the career and the money and the wellness and all of the things that we're juggling now as modern women, like that's not natural and it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel good. And it puts us in a space of overwhelm, guilt, exhaustion, like burnout all the time. And then we judge ourselves and feel guilty because we're in this space of burnout because we're trying to do everything and please everyone. And that realization when I first had my daughter was like, wow, a veil has been lifted. I can see the light and I can see that the way that we're doing motherhood is not, it's not how it's supposed to be. So that was the first real shock, which is what set me onto the trajectory to kind of do this work. But when I think about, I think recently, my daughter's only four now. So I've been kind of on this path, I would say before she was born, but in this kind of recent manifestation, the thing that has been coming up a lot for both me and her father is managing another person's vision, another person's trauma, and another person's expectations, as well as my own, and working out how to navigate that in a way that still feels supportive and harmonious and healthy. Um, So because I do see us as, as a conscious couple, and we've always had these kind of deep dive conversations about who we are, who we're here to be, what we're here to do, what kind of legacy we're trying to build, who we're trying to be for our children. I felt like we got a lot of stuff covered and this was going to be a little bit easier for us <laughs> than if we hadn't have had those conversations, right? Like there was a few things like, yeah. And what about this? Yeah, cool. Oh, good. We're on the same page. That's great. That's great. And then as our daughter came, I have a son now as well, who's two, just the things that have come up were things that we couldn't have prepared for. And it was that realization that, oh, wow, this goes, this goes even deeper, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're not coming from a, a line of strong examples of, you know, married couples, um, positive parenting, you know, a lot of the things that I believe in and stand by um, has been judged quite harshly by parents and grandparents and other family members. And so it's been really interesting to navigate what I stand for, how I stand for it, and how I'm going to try and create that container in a way that feels consistent and loving and positive and healthy for our children. Mm. So you're building your own path, aren't you? You're a pioneer. Exactly. We're carving the path and doing the work of healing 
whilst we're going through it and trying to be there for each other to support each other through it and also seeing where each other are really triggered and then being like okay um and I really believe that we we birth the children that are here to teach us the most listen when I was a social worker (laughs) we used to send parents on this course all the time parents as first teachers and as you know I've been doing this learning and whatever else I'm like that course was back to front it is children as first teachers yes because they're the ones who teach us how to be a parent yes and and they're also normally I feel like they're coming with almost like like pre-ordained tests and mm-hmm. initiations for us like the things that we feel like we've got like down pat and we're like okay so I've done you know I've done the work on that you know I'm really cool with that now let's move on and then they come and then they're like no no mom you ain't done with that we were gonna have to or revisit that I've evolved <laughs> yeah exactly I've evolved exactly. I, today what what's the date today the 7th of April 2020 I've never been a parent on the 7th of April in 2020 before. So every day is a new parenting Mm. experience. And we need to give ourselves space for that. When Mm. we think, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've healed. No, you you do not give yourself space. And I think also that is where a lot of our self, it's not even just self judgment and guilt because guilt is shorter lived and it's got an activational quality. But shame mm. is something different altogether. Mm. And I know um, when I was doing um, Motherhood Reconstructed with um, Leah, mm. which was about Black British motherhood, people would message us and say, oh, um, can you do something about, um, I'm a stay-at-home mum, can you do something about a stay-at-home mum? We did have stuff to do with stay-at-home mums. We did have blog posts from stay-at-home mums and all of that kind of stuff. But they they had already decided, because they'd seen a few posts with women that either have jobs or have um, businesses, they decided that that had been dismissed. And I could feel a sense of shame Mm. because we have, you know, I remember growing up in the uh, 90s, Ladek culture, everything about being a woman that was contributing in society meant that you were acting like a man. So being able to do all the things that men do, plus have waxed legs, plus have waxed bikini line, plus have eyelashes, fingernails, tight dresses, hourglass figure and all of that all of those were expectations on women which are not realistic Mm -hmm. but we were so and I'm not talking about individuals on a societal level we were so unconscious Mm. that that programming made logical sense even though our body mind was telling us something different Mm. so then we start to feel shame Add being a woman of African descent, whether you're Caribbean, mixed black, whatever the case may be, Mm. we also have something ground into us about being strong and about being productive. So even when we are, um, I was was reading something or, or listening to something and it was talking about not using joy 
as, for example, as an act of resistance, because not everything that we do has to be standing by, standing for, or for some productivity. We have a right to be joyful because we're human human beings, period. Definitely. When you come from a background where you've got to prove your humanity, even rest needs to be justified more than the um, rest, like, like more than the rest of the population so the way we deem rest we have to justify it more so I know that there are a lot of white women in my community who feel like they need to justify having rest but when you have the additional adage of um the stereotypes that black people are lazy yeah rest even more so and then the other thing that comes with a different charge Sorry? It comes with a different charge. It comes with a different charge. And it's that constant proving to prove that you're not lady, lazy, your house should be sparkling, your hair must be this, your, you know, all these very materialistic outward expressions takes us further and further away from the connection with ourselves. And then we say we're stuck. Yeah, no, everything you're talking about is like what I work to unpack for myself and for the women that I serve. I wrote an article about this for Black Ballad, about how self-care for women of colour is just a different it's a different, it's coming from a different place and we have to realize that. So when we see the resistance to acts of self-care, whether it's rest or relaxation or meditation or any of the things that are going to make us feel good, when we feel that resistance coming up, yes, that comes from a place of, you know, the, the central dominant narrative of work is better, productivity is better. But underneath that, there's also, like you say, the history of colonization, Mm -hmm. which has left us feeling like we have to do more to prove that we're even just at a a level as everybody else. And so I encourage women to kind of put that lens onto things sometimes because a lot of women aren't even really aware that they're carrying those things because Mm -hmm. they feel like we're living in a kind of post-racial society and, you know, where, where there's more opportunities than there ever have been and privileges are available that weren't and there's more opportunities, et cetera. But actually the body is still coming from a line where women were not allowed to rest. Women were not were, were not allowed to honour their natural rhythms, their natural cycles, where they weren't able to create space and time in a way that other generations have had the privilege to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's an unlearning and a relearning. Mm-hmm. And some of the the women that I'm really inspired, there's. Um, a woman called Dr. Rosales Mesa, mm-hmm. um, and she is a intuitive coach. She speaks a lot on decolonizing um, your kind of your life. And I had the privilege of speaking to her on my upcoming podcast, um, which should be coming out soon. Um, but we spoke about how even without anybody viewing you or judging you, you still play out the kind of colonizer's plan and intention over your own thinking because, you know, you're trying to still push when what you should be doing is pausing or you're still trying to, um, you know, prove when what you should be doing is knowing, you know, knowing your worth, knowing your value. And so there is a, a deep unraveling of those reactions that we have, you know, so, so I'm not, expecting that everybody kind of hears that and is like, ah, 
light bulb. Like I get, I get why I don't do that, but I just feel like if there's a space to even recognize that, like where are the spaces that you could be holding onto that in your body, in your mind, in your approach, in your thinking, and then what, what can healing look like? And where can that space be created? And where can we kind of change the narrative? Because that is what we can, if we're unconscious, we can pass on to our children. And, and I hear myself saying things that I don't even believe, you know, that hold that you have you, have you, I'm sure you've been in this situation, but you know, like um, I would go home and say, oh, I got this on my exam. And then there would be the conversation, well, what did everyone else get? Well, if anyone else got better than you, then you didn't do, you didn't work hard enough. And thankfully, that wasn't a conversation that was had very often in my household. But it was one that I know that a lot of my peers had that expectation of that kind of outward success and um, of validation, you know. And so I feel myself sometimes saying those things or I hear my husband saying those things to my daughter now who's four. Like, don't worry about what Bob and Sally are doing. You're in this house. When you're in this house, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, actually, we're creating that for her because she doesn't know yet what all of those things mean. And so by us bringing it into her in a way that is like potentially restrictive or um, it means that she's got to do something differently or more or less, less than it's setting her up for creating carrying on that that um the carrying on the expression of something that she doesn't have to does that make sense 100 percent. so what you're talking about that's that's how I was brought up I was born in 1977 African immigrant parents it was not uncommon My mum didn't do it so much, but my dad definitely, it wasn't about what other people would get. So if I said, dad, I got a B and I was really proud of it, he would be like, well, what about A? So when my daughter started, and it's quite a natural thing to do, we're social creatures, we do look around to see what we think normal is, to see whether or not we're doing things within the realms of whatever we believe normal to be. Mm -hmm. But I would always say to her, for me, it doesn't matter. If you have worked really, really hard, so GCSEs are like one to nine now or whatever. Um, If you have worked really, really hard and you get a five, As long as I know that you've worked really, really hard, for me, that five is a nine. Mm. If you haven't worked, if you have not not even necessarily worked hard, if you haven't done your best and you get an eight, you'll know and I'll know that you've got an eight when you could have got something else Mm. and leave it like that. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, that what I try to impress upon her is work out what your best is. Know that best fluctuates day to day. And as long as you know that in that moment you did the best and you set yourself up generally to do whatever your best is, for me, that's more than enough. To be quite frank, I couldn't care less what she gets academically Mm -hmm. as long as she's done her best. Mm -hmm. And that has been a long lesson. I've always not cared less, but Mm -hmm. I know that she will always do more than okay. Mm -hmm. And I used to have in my mind she could go to university to learn how to paint a big toenail. Um, She had to go to university. That was, and now I'm like, you know what? That's not my job. That is the subjugating and dominance mode of parenting. My job is to hold a big space for you to run around and explore and then make a choice about what you want to do, fully well knowing that that will change and evolve. Mm. That do one thing for the whole of your life. 
is 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 long gone. Definitely. But I just want to go back. Um, a friend of a, a friend put me on to Dr. Rosales Meza, um, mm. and I went onto her feed, started following her, and the first post of hers that I saw. I had to share it with a couple of people because I was like, oh my goodness. So the post says, the reason you struggle with self-care is because the colonial capitalist patriarchy taught you to tolerate abuse. Mm. You are worthy of healing. Now, if we look, so we're, we're, we're shifting paradigm. And as much as it's difficult for some people to be able to step close to this. I believe that we've had global pandemics at various points in history. And I think that when we can rise above the noise of the chaos and the loss, it's here to teach us something about the next direction for humanity. Yes, I agree. If you think about the paradise, so if I think about the paradigm I was brought up in, my granddad was born in 1923 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his parents were probably born of parents who had to duck and dive and hide from slave catchers. Yep, that's not that far down the line. And there was an, uh, the first European person came from Portugal in fifteen something to Sierra Leone to what is now known as Sierra Leone. It's called Sierra Leone because Western people told us it's Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. So if I think about that lineage and I th- we think about the studies of epigenetics and how the DNA of um, Holocaust survivors has been tested and you can see how the DNA mutates to cope with that stress mm. and is then passed down the line. There are many of us who are fighting trauma that we don't know and we don't understand. We're carrying it. We're carrying it. And I know that that is true of the world because the whole world was impacted by things like World War II, etc. Um, people think it was Western, but there were people from the colonies that were involved in fighting. And uh, I know that uh, things that were being transported, exported and whatnot were impacted. So it had an impact everywhere. But if we think about the fact that we enter this parenting journey carrying trauma, for example, that we're not even aware, aware of because it's on a cellular level, mm. That, for me, just speaks to the need for the work that you do. And whilst I know that not everybody has, let's, let me be 100, nobody sits down with their budget and saying, I'm going to budget this much for personal development. This much. <laughs> It just doesn't work like that. We've got to make it happen. Mm. And I know that there are some people that financially can't make it happen in terms of investing in working with a coach or attending seminars, etc. Mm. But engaging, thinking about your social media content, for example. Mm. Um, Years ago, I heard someone describe it as a sacred space. And I was like, it really is. It's a space that you cultivate. So you can either have a space that triggers you and makes you think, look at that branch of motherhood. I haven't got the nice conservatory extension. I'm not taking wall pictures in front of colorful walls with all these new clothes on that triggers you and puts you further into shame. Mm. Or you can be engaging with content like this, like the content you put out, like I put out, listening to podcasts, reading books, things that are accessible to you Mm. that open you up to your own awakening 
That's exactly it. And that's and that can can begin at any time. And interestingly, you speak about, you know, not everybody being able to budget for that kind of one to one kind of coaching in in their vision of what what their life needs. And I think that has been one of my biggest journeys because there is a group of people who for whom coaching is just another part of the toolkit. It goes along with their retreats and their mm-hmm. osteopathy appointments and their this and their that. And and there are another group of people for whom this work is going to feel very new and a bit of a stretch perhaps in the beginning to even believing that they're worthy enough of the time and energy that it takes yep. to, to be still with it. And I've been very, I think aware of how I've, I'm not wanting to just recreate the normal coaching model because I'm not trying to just serve a small set of people who can afford that level of, of work. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that I'm really trying to navigate on my own journey. And I'm thinking about ways that I can make things super affordable and really um, accessible. And that's why I do believe that social media, YouTube, like podcasts, as many ways as I can share mm-hmm. is what I'm committed to doing. Mm-hmm. So that's just a reminder for me because that that's who I that's who I want to serve, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in terms of people actually coming to the work without even realizing that they have a need for it, it begins with connecting with the vision that you have for the way that you want to live. Like, how do I want to live? How do I want to parent? How do I want to show up? Can you look at yourself through the eyes of your child, not only just now, but in the future? Yeah. And if you imagine your child on a therapy chair, God forbid, mm. but not that it's, it's something that needs to be... Listen, I've already started the but... therapy fund because <laughs> I just think it's like spring cleaning, isn't it? Right. But so if you imagine your child having a healing conversation where they're reflecting on their childhood how, what do you want them to say about you? How do you want to have shown up for them? And often we think that it's by creating a really nice environment or by putting all of our time and energy into making enough money so that we can buy the house with the garden or the car or the, and these things are things that normally are coming from a reaction of not having grown up with those things. So we think, okay, I'm going to provide these, these things for my child. But actually, if we think about the emotional presence that our parents may or may not have been able to give us, um, what does that look like? If we were to prioritize that, what does that actually look like? Mm. Um, And so that question, I begin with women from beginning preconception, but it continues. It continues through pregnancy. You know, what fears are coming up for me? How do I desire to go through this? Um, What do I believe about birth? And then into the kind of early motherhood paradigm of I'm being triggered by some toddlers. Like, how do I deal with this? What's coming up for me? How do I deal with my own anger? How do I deal with my own big emotions? What languages do I have to process my own emotions? What tools do I have that I can teach them? How can we start naming and putting language into feelings in a way that may not have been done for me, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And every moment is just for me an opportunity to think about where can I awaken to a bigger picture of what is being called to evolve both through me and both through the next generation and it's not going to happen by me projecting my agenda Mm -hmm. onto my child it's not going to happen from any of us holding tight to the things that we were raised with because we're in a different paradigm as you mentioned 
And to me, this pandemic is showing that a lot of the ways that we've been used to doing things or the ways that we have been taught to strive for are unsustainable. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of these things are now falling away and we're having to come face to face with what actually really matters, our health, our well-being, our family, and being in a way that we can actually begin to self-sustain, yeah. uh, you know, and, and come back into more harmony in the ways that we live in a way that doesn't deplete mm-hmm. the earth and our resources or deplete from ourselves our own reservoirs and yeah. so t- that is what I feel like globally where we've been calling for in a way and this is an opportunity where a lot of people are now starting to face like hang on a second I've never been at home for this long who am I married to like who have I actually chosen to partner through life with if I can't make it through each day with this person without feeling super triggered or I'm struggling to be in close con- contact with my family how how can I lean into the healing that this opportunity and this time is providing for me? And not just in this pandemic, but just in life. life. Like mm-hmm. that's those are the questions that I'm always asking myself. Like when I feel a response or a reaction or a sense of shame or grief or anger, I'm always asking myself, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. And and it may not be coming from me. Like it may be coming from projected stories or narratives that aren't actually mine and that I can afford to start to say hang on a second is that serving me no Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. is that the woman who I'm trying to be no it's not am I Mm -hmm. living in that time no I'm not what can I afford to let go what do I need to create and start to cultivate and so it's that moment to moment awareness and self not critique but self reflection that I believe yeah, is you're the holding path. space for regulation. Exactly, exactly. And it's not and spiritual bypassing. You're actually giving yourself the opportunity to explore where that comes from, whether or not it belongs to you. Exactly. If it doesn't belong to you, that can be discarded. If it does belong to you, actually being present with whatever that is so that you can support what is underneath this thing exactly. rather than reacting to the symptom. Exactly. And most of us live so much of our time on the surface. Hmm. You know, it's like everything showing up and all of these signs and symbols and like moments of, of learning are always popping up. And it's normally what is the things that we're, we're feeling, you know, like we can tune into that in a way that instead of suppressing and shoving it down in order to carry on being productive and to maintain this kind of homeostasis, actually just being with that for a minute allowing it the space and honoring it and that to me is what we don't as a society create space for like honoring ourselves because we're scared there's something I do some coaching for a small organization some group coaching and um, I keep saying there's there's a member of staff that thinks they've got COVID-19, but they're still trying to work and I said listen you need to organize a short Zoom meeting with this staff member and say to them, what is really going on? When they did this, it all boiled down to, there are so many things going on in his family that he's been able to avoid with overworking, that being floored by this illness means that this person will need to face that And this person is frightened. So in having a conversation, supporting the manager to have the conversation, let's name what it is that you're feeling. And in naming the feelings, 
this person was able to, as you were talking just now, distinguish between what is theirs and what isn't theirs. And it's funny, I was doing, I did a, I did a presentation um, that I've shared with people or masterclass with co, uh, Covey circles of influence and circles of control. We spend so much time in the circle of concern that we have very little control over and very little time in the circles of influence and of um, control, the places that we can actually really build resilience and do stuff but it's easy to spend time in the circle of concern because mm. oh look at that person over there look at what they're doing that person's mm. buying all the toilet roll look at that person <laughs> not wearing a mask look at that person they've been out for an yeah. hour and 10 minutes yeah meanwhile you're now looking at your home metaphorically and literally you're seeing cobwebs that you never noticed before mm. because you you're in and out you treat your house like a train station right talking about your physical mm. house that you live in and also your 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 body temple yes talk it because what I hear when you're saying that is the difference between like consuming and creation like when <laughs> when you're in a space of kind of <laughs> when you're in a space of like passive reacting that's when all of the fear is going to be triggered all of the time, you know, like, okay, what does this person say about this? What's that person saying? What's the news saying? What's this saying? What's that saying? And it's not to say that, you know, any of those things aren't true and don't need to be heard or dipped into. But I feel like for parents who are at home with children for the first time in this way right now, Mm -hmm. our work is to be the strongest filter we can Mm -hmm. and to come in from a place of true grounding to finding the calm reassurance in our center, in our core. Like, okay, what makes me feel safe and secure? What do I know to be true right now in this moment? Are all my needs being met in this moment? Am I safe in this moment? And most of the time, for most of us who are in a position of privilege, we have to say, Mm -hmm. the fact that you're in a home, the fact that you have a family, the fact that you you have a roof over your head, you've got food in your fridge, you are in a position of privilege. And so you can afford to go and buy more groceries than you normally do because you're scared that they're going to be shut down. You've got privilege. Exactly. And if you have... Uh, the awareness to sit down and listen to a podcast about personal development, then you are already on that path yeah. of self-awareness. Yeah. So in that thinking, instead of kind of bringing that, even, you know, people think that by hiding those things from their children, depending on the ages of their children, like that's the work, like, oh, I need to protect them from what's actually happening. But actually by opening up to and discussing and showing how we're processing our own emotions and showing that all of those feelings are valid and should be felt and deserve to be honored, that is giving them permission and space to be able to say, oh, I'm feeling a little bit like this as well. And then you can start to bring some of those tools to them. So for example, doesn't it? Exactly. It builds resilience. And I think for those of us who've come from a line of survivors, like this doesn't feel that like that deep. Do you know what I mean? Like as soon as it came to the whole like rationing and, you know, thinking about how to make meals from potentially odd bits. And I was like, this feels familiar. I've been here before and it doesn't feel uncomfortable, but that's not to take away from people who are really suffering or people who are really feeling triggered and overwhelmed. But what I'm trying to say is that there is a core of resilience that we all have access to. And it's coming back into that intentional, knowing of, okay, in this moment, can I just be with my breath? 
Mm-hmm. Can I pause? Can I slow down? Can I see what's arising? Can I talk to it? Can I move through my body in a way that feels good? Can I choose to eat something that's not going to make me feel bad? Mm-hmm. Can I choose how to use my attention in a way that I'm not going to consume information that's going to drop me further into fear, mm-hmm. but that's going to bring me up into inspiration? Yeah. You know, like we've been blasting reggae tunes up loud and dancing and just creating as many moments of joy and peace and happiness as we can for our children because with everything changing we have to be the containers of what safety is right and so that doesn't again mean oh I'm really scared but I'm going to show them that I'm happy but it's about me saying okay in an age-appropriate way and depending on the ages of your children like what conversations needed need to be had you know like so for my daughter for example she said oh is school ever gonna open again I feel like I'm gonna forget I'm gonna forget what all my friends look like and I was like okay like we can talk through that let's find a way that we can maybe FaceTime or take pictures or you know you you allow them to feel safe enough to share with you what their fears are and they will do that if they know that you've got space because you're making space for your own fears if they perceive that you are in a place of fear and overwhelm and even if that's um, surfaced over or pasted over and you're trying to hide that they know energetically where you're at and so if they feel that they're going to contain and withdraw more and so they're going to feel like oh what what mummy or daddy want is for me to pretend that I'm yeah. happy. So they start learning to internalize. Exactly. And that's the beginning of the suppression of our yeah. own sense of feelings and yeah. our own emotions. And that is what takes so many years to unravel, you know, in adulthood. Girl. So that is what I feel like conscious parenting now looks like. Yeah. But for the women that I support, it comes into the ways that we move, the ways that we speak, the ways that we eat, the ways that we discipline, the ways that we create space for our, our relationship, the ways that we create boundaries. You know, it doesn't mean saying yes to our children and prioritizing them in a way that I think often I'm, I get feedback from of like, you know, well, I'm the parent and they're the child. I don't want them to feel super entitled or that they're just going to walk through the world in this way where they're just going to feel like they've been like in this false reality. And then when they reach the real world, it's going to be like a bit of a culture shock for them. And actually what I'm saying is like, well, that's because we've been taught to dim our own lights and we think that that's what normal is. And so by feeling that, you know, anything else is entitlement, again, it comes back to kind of Dr. Rosales' message of like, where can we afford to decolonialize our own thinking and our own judgments on how we're showing up in the world? Because surely what we want for our children is not necessarily to get the A's and the money and the cars, but to be the fullest expression of their selves as possible, you know, to be in their abundance and their light and their joy and also to honor their pain and their fear and whatever else comes up for them and so the more we can do that for ourselves and for our 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 partners can do that the more our children feel the space and permission to do that too Hmm. (laughs) that word entitled is a real trigger for people and I, I've reclaimed the word before I started really doing the uh, deep excavation work I decided that I want my daughter to be entitled 
entitled, I've just looked it up in the dictionary as a reminder, entitled Believing Oneself to be Inherently Deserving of Privileges or Special Treatment. I want her to know that she is inherently deserving of privileges and special treatment. Mm. She, for me, entitled, the, 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 the branch the of entitlement I'm talking about is that I want her to know that she is inherently deserving. So I internalized messages that I had to be strong and strength for me was not malleable. It was not flexible. So it was a lot of internalizing and a lot of holding. So I would say that a lot of my life felt like an inhalation and that was it. There was no exhale. So in doing my work, and I was saying to you uh, on Instagram DM, I was talking about my somatic coaching course. Yes, it sounds amazing. It is one of the most refreshing, liberating things I have done. I am so honoured to be learning what I'm learning. I am so grateful and honoured and excited to be folding it into what I've been doing intuitively Mm. and coming from a solid knowledge base so that I'm able to practice it more and deeper and also trust that actually sometimes I just open the door and that's all I've got to do, open the door and and hold the space for people to work their way around that room. Mm -hmm. But what I am learning more and more and why the somatic coaching course is even more timely for me is that it is helping me to understand that I am entitled to all of my feelings. I don't have to push past any. I don't have to pack anything tightly in a neat bow and come back to it later. So for example, with COVID-19, quite often when I'm talking to a friend, I refer to the way I used to behave as Robotam. Robotam (laughs) would have been like, I've got to robotically get my way through this. I've got to keep showing up, keep doing this. This is the time, there's opportunity, all of that. And I would be denying my body screaming and saying whatever Mm -hmm. until my body would say, right, you're going to be ill. Yeah. This time around, I haven't done that. So when people were saying... um, You've just got to uh, tune in. You've just got to change your energy, do the mindset work. I've gone past the stage where I use the universe to get what I want. I'm Mm. not, please give me the strength to do this so that I can get that. I'm going to be a good girl and do my journaling every day. (laughs) I fully believe, if we think about the four levels of um, consciousness, I'm very much in the conduit phase. I'm Mm. fully available for God and my ancestors to work through me Mm -hmm. and to give me guidance, which is beyond the limitations of my conscious mind. So listening to my body and allowing my body to lead has been game changing Mm. and things that have happened as a result of listening to my body Mm. tending to my needs Mm. nourishing tenderness not being scared of being intimate with myself I keep recalling this um quote by Nora it's from Zora Neale Hurston's book their eyes were watching God Mm -hmm, and it's something mm -hmm. along the lines of she stood still until something fell off the shelf inside her whatever Mm -hmm. needs to fall off can fall off because it's mine Mm. I own it I have dominion I have the capacity to do what I need to Mm -hmm. do and sometimes it's just keeping those things company Mm. and of that things are unfolding that I wouldn't have thought of because I was thinking from a very earthly limitation. Um, It's just... It's It's moving out of the way. It's moving out of our own way. It's moving out. So when people... When I'm talking about being on my roller skates all the time... 
I keep saying like, Joy for me is like an adaptogen. It is like aloe vera. Aloe vera, you got dry skin, you put it on there, it's moisturizing. <laughs> if you've got a spot, it will dry it out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it adapts to for everything. For yeah. everything. So yeah. when my daughter's getting stressed over all of this nonsense, and I will call it that, whoever the education minister is, all this nonsense they are putting on show my homework, stuff that the children haven't even done yet, and you're expecting children to have autonomy and, and take responsibility for a full learning experience, I shall say, Mom, should we have a skate? Yeah, let's go and have a skate. Mm. So we know when we're having a stress skate, we know when we're having a joy skate. <laughs> and the stress skate is going to lead to a joy skate in any event. But for, for, she, just, she, just, she just knows, really knows that for me, her being able to operate in the vibration of joy is much more important than her being stressed and handing in a piece of work that she's not satisfied with, that she didn't learn from. She just did it in robotic fashion. Mm. To be quite frank, my daughter could not do another lesson between now and September. She'll, mm. she'll, be, she'll be fine. If your child's academic attainment is going to be impacted by having one term of school, it was always going to be impacted. Well, if we're going down the education route now, that's on, girl. Let's do it. That's a whole next conversation. I don't even think we have time in this moment to go into that. But for me, that was always an awareness that like all of the ways that we get taught to be in society, a lot of that comes from our parents, yes. But they have also come from a system of which they have been schooled through to to uphold the system as it is you know and that's why schools have been made the way that they are that's what yep. the curriculum's there for somebody decided revolution yeah it's just a extension of the values that a group of people have decided the next generation need to learn in order to be able to fit and conform to the society that we've created and want to uphold and I don't know about you but I'm not here for that like that's not what I'm trying to do I'm not trying to uphold a system that doesn't serve the majority I'm not trying to um, uphold capitalist values. I'm not trying to create a space where hierarchy and oppression is like celebrated. Like that's not what mm -hmm. I'm here for. And so I was very like pro homeschooling or even pro unschooling. Um, and actually this was my daughter's first term in school. Um, and so it's really interesting actually seeing both of our journeys into homeschooling in this dynamic because it hasn't been in the way that I expected it would unfold because I'm also then looking after my son um, and still managing, you know, clients around that. Mm -hmm. But it is very, um, it just bringing that into kind of crystal focus, like learning the things that she's been learning and the ways that she's been taught to behave and to get rewards. And it just, it's the beginnings of this oppression in a way. And I don't, say that to kind of make people take their kids out of school but it's just like if we took full responsibility for our own well-being in the same way we took responsibility for our children's well-being like what would that education look like and it might just be creating more spaces for joy on the mm -hmm. weekends and in the evenings and mm -hmm. now that we have this time in this time but it's about just having that curiosity and questioning to what's the underlying thing that's being taught here like 
like my daughter has um, star stickers for like who who has the most uh, points at the end of the day, for example. Like just that right there is setting up a kind of, if you behave in the way that I want you to, you will get rewarded. If you do something in, in re- resistance to that, there will be a punishment. And I feel like we've evolved past reward and punishment. Like there is more to life. It's not so polarized. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that that this you only deserve my love when you behave in this way yeah so I'm always trying to to feel into like where is this is this coming from lack limitation and fear and where can I expand and create more space for love and for presence and so that's the practice I'm doing you know like I see a lot of people putting up all their like military style timetables and I'm like that's not what, in my opinion, that's not what we need. That that comes from a place of fear because you're not wanting to let go and just be and see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. we're all still mm-hmm. trying to hold control. on to a sense of normality and control. And actually, this is an opportunity to disrupt that completely and be like, actually, when does my body feel hungry? Maybe it's not at 12 o'clock. Maybe I don't want to eat that meal <laughs> at that time. Maybe I want to move at that time. Maybe my my I can start to um, come into more of a rhythm with the sun rising and mm-hmm. with the sun setting and mm-hmm. I can sleep longer and I don't have to start my day when an alarm clock rings. I can wake up naturally. Like all of these things are small moments of freedom. And so that's what I am encouraging, you know, parents to feel into now is like, where can we create expansiveness? Yeah. Where can we touch into our freedom in a space where we feel locked down, quote unquote, mm-hmm. we feel like there is restrictions on our, you know, environment and what, what things we can and can't do, where can we create those spaces of freedom and liberation in the ways that we be, you know? And that comes down to everything. Like my daughter wakes up in the morning and she's like, I want face paint and I want to wear my pink uh, uh, crown and my tutu. Yes, go, go through, put it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to listen to this music. Cool, let's go. It's not to say that everything is a yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah, there yeah, is yeah. a lot more yeses than they would normally be because I'm conscious of creating that space um and that's what I that's the vision that I hold for myself that's the vision that I hold for my clients and that's the vision that I hold for my children so yeah there there was there was so much there was so I actually I was unrealistic I had so much that I wanted to cram into this conversation with Nahanda because of all of your knowledge and your wisdom Um, and that has just struck so many chords with me uh we we, we're just gonna my podcast can do what I want we will just have to have a part two because there are so many gems that we that that have been untouched that I think will be super useful for people I would love that I would love that so we definitely have to do that and what you have said really speaks to the um spaciousness of right now if we allow right now to be right now, if we're not so busy looking backwards and using what happened before to predict the future, there's just so much spaciousness mm. in the presence, that in the present, that feeling of claustrophobia, that's that's what it's sounding like. Lots of people are feeling, feeling like in yeah. their own homes. I think that would be alleviated hugely Definitely. if we were able to bring ourselves to where we are now so um we're gonna have to come back to lots of these things but what I would like to ask you is um what does everyday joy mean to you in a COVID-19 situation mm. it's being able to ask yourself the question what makes me feel good 
and honour it. Yes. And it sounds simple, but that practice, I believe, will just like change the game because then we start to come from a place of imagination. It might not even be something that you've experienced yet. You know, like what things could feel good? What might feel good? What haven't you tried that might feel good? And so in that place, we can actually create new pathways in our bodies, new experiences for ourselves and for our children and for our families and actually start to truly live. Because I feel like a lot of us haven't been living out here. And, you know, I'm not trying to go back to that normal, really. Um, And so if this has given us the space and a moment of pause to be able to reassess all of the things in life at the moment, our work, our relationships, the way that we've been parenting, our routines, and really look at those in a, in a honest way without judgment and without trying to create shame, but with real honesty about the lives that we want to live and the ways that we want to feel and how we want to express and feel abundant. And that's not about how much food is in your fridge. It's about feeling like we deserve the air that we're breathing and that we're full expressions of who we came here to be. Um, from that place, How can we move? How can we speak? How can we show up? And that is the practice that I've been trying to to, to walk in this moment and in this time. And it's it's been an enjoyable one. I've been really finding these moments of joy. So I hope that gives some inspiration and some, yeah, some joy to to people listening because I feel like that's that's within our control everything else like the things that we can't do anything about right now that's not our problem what can we do and what we can do is tune into how we feel and to create space to always kind of choose things that are going to make us feel good Hmm. marry me just, 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 just marry me now. Okay. Um, for those of you that also want to marry Nahanda, where can we find you? And do you have anything coming up? Do you have any services available for anybody yes, that may so, want to? Yes. Thank you for asking. So I am on Instagram at Soul Mama Coach. Um, and I've actually been off of Instagram a lot recently because I find that that has been one of my, my biggest, um, kind of space creators like to actually put down the phone and actually just be present like not once has has my daughter said to me like mommy why are you on the phone because normally I work a lot through the phone Mm -hmm. um and I've just been very conscious like no when she's awake the phone's down like so so I haven't been as present on there but for those who want to follow me on there I am on there um and I am online on my website which is www.soulmamajourney.com and that just speaks to the continuum of honoring motherhood so from preconception I have a conscious conception course which supports women into that healing from before they even conceive Um, especially if you've been dealing with any blockages or infertility issues or things that you feel may be coming from a place of um, emotional or energetic um, build-up basically Um, And so we work through that kind of in a holistic way, in a one-to-one basis. Um, And then I have another program, which is through pregnancy and postpartum. Again, honoring some of these ancient ways that we spoke about, remembering our kind of cultural, relevant practices, things that we've forgotten, but we have that access to. And it doesn't 
need to cost an arm and a leg. Like instead of preparing for the most amazing birth, why not prepare for the most spiritual awakening that motherhood can bring? Mm -hmm. And so that's that program. And then I also do one for mothers who are just feeling super burnt out, exhausted, all feel out, just over it and are, you know, trying to juggle all the things. And that's my revitalize um, motherhood thrive, soul mama thrive package. And so those are kind of the co- coaching packages I offer. But for any woman who feels inspired and called to work with me, I do offer kind of bespoke packages depending on what you're where you're, where you're at on your journey. And I really believe that motherhood is that whole continuum. So um, yeah, you may be at a later stage than that and want some support to kind of go deeper on some of these generational wounds that you feel might be showing up or kind of feeling into your ancestral wisdom, but not quite sure how to do that. A lot of that comes into my work as well. So anything around holistic wellness, energy and vitality is who I'm here for. Um, so yeah. Beautiful. Thank did I you. mention that? I did mention the Soul Mama podcast. Yes, yes, um, yes. So yeah, I've been sitting on that for a minute just because I've wanted to get like last bits and pieces. Um, and I've got a really nice selection of women who are all speaking on subjects that I haven't heard very often spoken about on on podcasts to do with motherhood specifically. Um, and being at home you know, I was a stay at home mum for a couple of years before I started being self-employed and podcasts really were what saved me, but I still didn't find many women who were speaking from my specific kind of outlook and backgrounds and beliefs. And so I've really made an effort to center the voices and narratives of women that are often on the margins of motherhood conversations. And so there's some really interesting conversations. I'm not sure when it's going to be out because we're in this this time of unknowns at the moment but um do listen out for it all information will be on my website and instagram when it does drop and yeah your podcast has been a great inspiration um along the way so thank you for this opportunity and for doing your work listen you know when you just feel called you either rise to the occasion or you hide under the table and I chose to rise and continue to rise as it goes. Rising with Those you. sound really wonderful. I am looking forward to your podcast dropping. I will make sure that there are links in the bio and when your podcast is ready, let me know and I will update the show thank notes. Um, Nahanda, thank you so much for your glorious time. Um, if you haven't had your allotted one hour outside, please do go and make hay because the sun is shining I've been out already I might have to go out again (laughs) sneak it go on what can well but thank you so much for your time I think that this episode is going to be really useful to many people thank you for your wisdom thank you for your energy and we'll have to schedule part two yes I look forward to it give thanks it's been a pleasure thank you very much take care bye Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. 
Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.